0: Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Well, we're in 1 Corinthians 15. If you're new or visiting and we go through the Gospels, we go through the Word of God verse by verse. And so if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in, on, um, underneath the chairs. Ask someone next to you or share with somebody. It's so important that you know the Word of God. It's our source of strength in these wicked days. It is our source of strength. And if you don't need strength, please come and let me know how you're doing it. Because these are bizarre days. 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I also preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and he was, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now our text this morning, and that he was seen by Cephas, or Peter, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have died, some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Last of all, he was seen by me also as as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of all the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I. But the grace of God which was in me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Jerry and Andrea laying down their lives to drive around the country uh, to share the gospel and treasure, as your as your son said, store up treasure in heaven. As we see on this side of heaven. Cities can be devastated in just a few hours. And those who are being devastated, they had their little treasures in their little houses. They had things that meant so much to them. And now for them, it's gone. So Lord, help us to have a light touch on the things of this earth and to keep an eternal perspective. For we're all just passing through. We're all just sojourners. For the believer, we get to go to heaven when it's all said and done. For the unbeliever, they're heading to hell. And so, Lord, I pray even this morning as we agree as brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, open their spiritual eyes, help them to see their need for a Savior this morning, that apart from Christ, there is no way of getting to heaven. No good works, for there's no one good, no not one, the word says. So, Lord, bless the time this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I mentioned last week a spiritual principle that has always been there as far as a physical principle of being able to take someone only as far as you've allowed the Holy Spirit to take us. Very important principle. Paul, who is writing this letter, is a great example of that type of person. He used to be known as Saul of Tarsus and had become a Pharisee, which was like a Cardinal, If you're familiar with the Catholic Church, cardinals are the ones that are picked to become a pope. So a Pharisee, if you think about religious elite, that's what a Pharisee was. If you've been in the Word, you've you've seen a wonderful transformation take place in his life via the Holy Spirit. You see, he went from the pursuer to the presenter. He went from being a butcher to being a true blessing. Think of life transformation. Think of your life transformation. He went from the hunter to the helper. He went from the religious fanatic to being a real friend, as we'll see in chapter 16. What a list in chapter 16. You see, in chapter 15 here, Paul is now addressing the last question that the Corinthians had, last that we know of anyways, which was about the death and resurrection. What happens after this life is over? What happens to our bodies? And just like the attributes of God, I can only take someone who doesn't understand about the life after death experience sharing with you. You can only take someone as far as you've allowed the Holy Spirit to take you. I get excited about memorial services. I did one yesterday. Memorial services, funerals, whatever you want to call it. It's the end of tribulation. And this brother knew Jesus, 57 years old. And testimony after testimony, how he knew Jesus, how he loved Jesus. We know where he's at. We know where he's at. Do you know where you're going? I mean, that's the most important question. Not for lunch after the service here. Do you know where you're going when you take your last breath? Because someone's going to be presiding over your memorial. I've done preborns. And I've done people in their 90s and everything in between. Someone's going to be presiding over your service. Might be a small group, might be in a backyard, might be at the church, wherever. You're going to be in a box, an urn. Your body's here, but your spiritual body has gone on, immediately gone on, as you'll see as we go over the scriptures. And just like the, again, just like the attributes of God, I can only take someone as far as love. Do I really know love? That's an attribute of God. Do I know patience? That's an attribute of God. Grace, mercy, forgiveness. Do I know those attributes? I can only take someone else as far as I've allowed the Holy Spirit to take me. If I don't understand forgiveness and somebody comes to me and says, how do you forgive somebody? What am I going to say? So guys, it's not just the pastorate. It's all of us as believers in Christ. We want to take someone further. Especially if they don't know Jesus. We want to take them to the cross. But can we explain the cross? We need to make sure we can do this. See, Paul is going to address the future and hope that we all have as Christians. And Paul allowed the Holy Spirit to take him to a depth that you and I have the privilege to see. You see, Paul is sharing his own personal experiences here. But as Christians, here's the question. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe in the resurrection? Because if we do, then the actions of our lives will reflect that and just as we can clearly see it did in the life of Paul. So let's look at verse 5, 1 Corinthians 15. And that he, if you're new to the scriptures, it's capitalized and you always want to read before and after the main verse or the verse that you're looking at. So this is Jesus and that he was seen by Cephas, Peter, and then by the twelve. As I mentioned last week, I believe that one evidence, just one evidence, not the main evidence, but one evidence of the resurrection of Jesus was the fact of a transformed life, and those transformed lives were of the Corinthians that Paul is writing to. Remember that they didn't have the New Testament neatly put together. Paul is writing the New Testament. He didn't know that, but Paul is writing the New Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. They didn't even have the Old Testament per se. They were Gentiles. The Jews had the scrolls and they were in the synagogue. Not every Jew had a scroll. Only the religious elite had access to the scrolls. You and I, we have Bibles all over the place. But are we being diligent reading from Genesis to Revelation? You see, they were living and walking out their faith. Think about that. You're in Corinth. All these pagans around you. Never been to Vegas, but I think of Vegas, just enough pictures. So imagine being in Vegas, no New Testament, no Old Testament. Some guy comes into Vegas, preaches the gospel. You receive Jesus as your Savior. Well, what do we do now? Do we leave town? Do we forsake everybody? No. You live there, but now you have to walk out your faith. Think how hard that must have been for them. And yet we have the Word of God in our laps on our devices, but because we're not reading it, it seems like it's really hard on us. Life doesn't have to be hard. Young people, life does not have to be hard. <laughs> how do you eat an elephant? Anybody know how you eat an elephant? One bite, One bite at a time. One bite at a time. Look at we'll 2 Corinthians 3, 2 through 3 here. You are our epistle, You see, you in your workplace, you are in a walking epistle. An epistle is a letter. A letter. You are a walking letter. Not the letter L or J. You are a walking Christian. And you are to walk out your faith. So when you hear that Putin is telling his forces to get ready, especially those who are specially trained for nuclear warfare... Does that terrify you? Does that give you extreme fear? Can you have peace in the midst of that, knowing that God has a plan? You see, your coworkers are going to be watching you tomorrow. They're going to be listening to you. How do you talk? How do you respond to these things? Do you hate the Russians? Do you hate our current government for not doing enough? They're listening. You are a walking epistle. They don't know Christians, per se. But you say you're one. I say I was when I was at Motorola, 12 and a half years. I know they were watching me. I know they were listening. I saw the effects of it. So guys, you are a walking epistle. This is what Paul is saying here. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. The word men there is mankind, male and female. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ. Notice that, guys. Young people, older saints, retired people, You're still an epistle. You didn't retire. If you did, get back into the game. You don't retire from Christianity. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of the living God. Not the 613 commandments in the law. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh that is of the heart. Well, how can we apply that to our own lives? You guys know these verses. Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I mean, it's just reasonable. I'm, I'm a slave. He's the master. It's just reasonable for me to say, God, you're mine. What do you want me to do? I have my agenda, but I want my agenda to be interrupted by your agenda. Your will be done today. Whether it was at Motorola or now, whatever it might be, God, what would you have me to do? That's what it's saying there. What would you have me to do? How would you have me to walk? How would you have me to talk? And do not be conformed to this world. What's the world trying to do to us right now? Control and fear. Control and fear. You will conform or you will lose your truck. We will lock your bank accounts this past week. Uh, there was a story of a woman who donated $50 to the Canadian trucker movement. They locked her account for donating $50 to a peaceful demonstration. They locked her account. Don't be conformed. I'd encourage you to have some cash on, on, your, on your hand. I don't think there's going to be a run on the bank per se, but I'd encourage you to have some cash. Be wise. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Where's our heads at? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice that, that, that I may prove it, that you may prove it. I'm not with you. The Holy Spirit's with you, though. When you're out doing whatever you're doing, I'm not with you. The Holy Spirit's with you. Way better to have the Holy Spirit than me. Let's look at Colossians really quick. Colossians chapter 3. Again, hopefully you have your Bible. Encourage you to have a paper Bible. When they shut your device off, well, that'll never happen. (laughs) If they're locking bank accounts, they can lock your phone account. They can lock your internet. They can lock anything they want to lock. Can't take your Bible away. And if they do, praise God, you've got a prison ministry. Colossians 3. If then you were raised with Christ, if you're born again, if you're a believer... That's what that's saying. Seek those things which are above. Seek after heavenly things. Now, I'm planning for the future. We have a retirement. Don't don't go on extremes. We're doing all of those things. We have emergency savings. We have all of those things. But hey, it could be gone in a day. So set your sights ultimately on heaven, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth, for you died and your life was hidden with Christ in God. Water baptism, that's symbolism, Romans chapter 6. When, verse 4, when Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And I encourage you to read the rest of the chapter. don't have time this morning, but go through verse 17 today or this week sometime. Because in that chapter, you're going to see the putting on and the putting off. And it's kind of like putting a jacket on. You know, in the morning, it's really cold to me in the morning, so I put a jacket on. And and as I'm out working in the yard, then I take the jacket off, and then I take the long sleeve shirt off, and I'm down to a T-shirt. At the end of the day, I'm putting the long sleeve shirt on, then I'm putting the jacket back on. So it's the putting off of the earthly things, the putting on of the heavenly things. That's the picture. So as you do that this week, when Paul says put off, put on, just remember that analogy, putting off the flesh, putting on the word of God. All right, the second piece of evidence was the resurrected Jesus teaching the disciples on the road to Emmaus. We talked about that last week. You can get the CD. And he taught them from the word of God. You see, the word of God testified about the rejection, death, and resurrection of the coming Messiah, whom we know to be Jesus. Now, the third piece of evidence in verse 5 here is the appearance of Jesus to Peter. You see, Jesus told Mary, or the angels told Mary to go and tell Peter that he's been risen and he did and Peter and remember Peter and John ran to the tomb well at some point let's look at Luke chapter 24 Luke chapter 24 at some point before the night Jesus appeared to Peter he appeared to the two men on the road to Emmaus but he appeared to Peter we don't know exactly when well how do you know that pastor well Luke chapter 24 32 now these are the two men who had run run seven miles back to Jerusalem they were walking to Emmaus after they knew it was Jesus they didn't walk back they were their sandals were flapping and they said to one another did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven so now we know they weren't part of the eleven these two disciples and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. Saying, the Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Notice that. So after the morning, at some point, Jesus appeared to Simon. And then Simon was trying to convince the guys that that they didn't believe the women, they didn't believe Simon. And now these two men, the other disciples, come along from the road to Emmaus, and they told about the things that had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now as they said these things... Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. So as we're looking at the evidence, here's a third piece of evidence. Peter, verse 6. 1 Corinthians fifteen six. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present. But some have fallen asleep. It's a nice way of saying, but some have died. So Jesus appeared to over 500 brethren and many of them were still alive at the writing of this letter, this epistle. Now, think about this. If a judge had this many eyewitnesses in a court of law, it would be an open and shut case. And knowing human nature the way we do, we know we can know for sure that somebody, somebody would have cracked by this time. So somebody would have cracked. Remember, Paul's writing is 25 years after the resurrection. Someone would have said the whole thing. You know, it's just a big joke. Just a big joke. It was just a publicity stunt. You know, a hoax to upset the religious establishment. Again, somebody would have done that. They could have produced a body. You know, here it is. Here's the body of Jesus. See, it was just a big joke. But because there was no body to produce, we know that the resurrection had taken place and Paul is writing down for the Corinthians and us the evidence of such. Now, I'd like you to think about this when we talk about documents, the Bible. People might say, well, that's just your Bible. Okay, it's just my Bible. Plato, anybody ever hear Plato quoted? Plato lived 427 to 347 BC, earliest copy, earliest copy of his writings, 900 AD. Huh, I wonder if his brother wrote that down. 1,200 years later? That's the earliest copy that we have? 1,200 years? And people quote Plato like it's Plato? Seven documents, by the way. Seven. How about Aristotle? Anybody hear of Aristotle? He lived 384 to 322 B.C. Earliest copy? 1,100 A.D. 1,400 years. 49 documents. Ooh, now we're making progress. Homer lived around 900 BC. Earliest copy, 400 BC. Well, that's a little closer, 500 years. 643 documents. That's getting up there. That's better. New Testament, earliest copies, 50 to 100 AD. When was Jesus crucified? 32 AD. With over 24,000 partial documents or whole documents. I think that's pretty credible. And this doesn't even include all of the historical evidence, secular, Josephus, who was a Jewish historian at the time of Jesus, lived at the time of Jesus, not a believer. Hopefully he received Christ at the end of his life. But as far as we know, not a believer. So extra biblical information, secular information. Uh, If you'd like to go with us in 23, we'll go late March. You're going to see... So many things that are like, wow, this is unbelievable. Do you know how many historical things the Mormons have to verify battles, to verify their documents? Do you know how many they have? Feel free to take your two fingers and put them together. Zero. Zero. No swords, no money, no cities, zero. I don't mock them or ridicule them. I bring that to their attention. And now because of the internet, they cannot deny it. So they will look at you and bold-facedly look at you and go, oh, we know. <laughs> you know? And you still believe in that? Just because you had a bad burrito? You, you know that? Don't confuse me with my feelings over the facts, okay? No, 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 no. Facts don't mean anything to me. I went through this with a doctor, a doctor who was a Mormon, I, and I asked him, I said, now, let me get this straight. So if you had no credentials, you've never gone to medical school, you just kind of picked it up along the way, do you think I would trust you and, and fulfill a prescription you gave to me? Well, you know, it's just the way it is. We just believe, like, yeah, yeah, right, okay, never mind. Not going back to you. You might give me something bad. If you'd like some more information, I would encourage you to check out uh, Josh and Sean McDowell. Tremendous information. If you're like, well, I still don't believe. You want information? Whew. Evidence That Demands a Verdict or Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ. Two great books. You want more information? Hmm. Verse 7, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. You see, there were two disciples with the name of James, and verse 5 covered those two. They were part of the 12 apostles. This James is identified as most likely the half-brother of our Lord. You see, Mary had the privilege of bringing forth the Messiah via the Holy Spirit, but Joseph and Mary went on to have other children, of which one was named James. Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Very easy to remember. Half of 6 is 3. Mark 6, 3. Is, not, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, or Joseph, Jr., Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters, sisters plural so he had at least two sisters so that's four brothers two is six he was the oldest of seven talk about chaos and are not his sisters here with us now we know from the scriptures that the Lord's brothers nor sisters believed him to be the Messiah matter of fact at one point his mom and siblings came to take him away they take him home you need some rest but after the resurrection it appears that they all became believers I mean, it'd be pretty hard not to after realizing that you just lived with the Messiah for 29 plus years. No wonder he never did anything wrong. This is crazy. He's the Messiah. Acts 1.14 says this, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. The families come to realize he is the Messiah. I personally believe that this is the Jesus referenced here. We see him in the book of Acts as being one of the main pillars of the early church. And he also wrote the letter in the New Testament, the book of James, verses 8 through 10. Then last of all, Jesus was seen by me also as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. You see, Paul calls himself the least of the apostles. The humility that came into the life of Paul was undeniable. There was evidence of a transformed life that we talked about earlier, and you should notice a change in the believer's character as well as personality. Have you noticed a change in your character and in your personality? That's the evidence of the Holy Spirit doing the work. And Paul says in these verses, in verse 10 there, I am what I am. You see, Paul knew what he was called to do for the Lord. Do you know what you're called to do for the Lord? Do you know what you're called to do for the Lord? It's so important. Paul knew what he was called to do for the Lord. And he fulfilled that calling with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He went for it. Tradition holds that Paul was short, bow-legged, curved back, long hooked nose, and with a draining eye disease that constantly ran. His appearance was not impressive at all. Matter of fact, he wasn't supposedly an eloquent speaker. Apollos was elegant, not Paul. There was nothing that would draw a person to him. Matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 10.10, we read this. For some say, Paul's letters are demanding. Randy, you want to throw that up? Uh, 2 Corinthians 10.10. For some say, Paul's letters are demanding and forceful. But in person, he is weak, and his speeches are worthless. New Living Translation. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine saying that today? People say that today, by the way. Paul's letter, demanding and forceful, but in person. Weak, weak, weak. Look at that weakling. Look at him, constantly wiping his eyes. And his speeches are worthless. What are they good for? You see, even though others talked about him in a negative sense, he knew what he was called to do for the Lord, and he did it. Do you know who you are in Christ? Really, do you really know who you are in Christ? And what the Lord has called you to do. What is that? As I've mentioned so many times through this book, you have a gift, a spiritual gift. Are you using that spiritual gift? Or are you shortchanging the church? Not just this church, the church, big C. Remember what the word says. If I don't use my gift, it's hurting the body of Christ. That's not a guilt or condemnation. That's out of teaching. That's out of teaching. Or do you look for the approval of others? Before you serve, do you look for the approval of others? You see, if you're seeking after the Lord and desiring to serve him with all your heart, then there'll be many times when no one will notice what you're doing. No one. But when you know that God has called you to do something, it doesn't matter if people notice or not because you're not doing it for them, you're doing it for the Lord. You're doing it for ministry purposes. And you're doing it through the grace of God. You see, God is pouring forth His grace upon you. He says, I labored. I labored. That means to feel fatigue, to grow weary, tired, or exhausted. Let me ask you a question Has that ever happened in your life due to ministry? I know that if I asked you due to life, if that happened, we'd all raise our hands. (laughs) But I'm saying due to ministry. Has that ever happened to you where you just go, man, that was draining. Whatever just took place, that was draining. After Sunday morning, I'm drained. To go to lunch is, is a stretch for me. I do it because I want to be polite, but it's a stretch. And if I fall asleep, just tap me. And you have no idea until you study and present the word of God. You have no idea what I'm talking about. But just take it as truth. And you ask any other pastor, he'll tell you the exact same thing. It's draining, spiritually draining, which causes physical drain. You see, that's what Paul is saying. I've labored to feel fatigued, to grow weary, tired, or exhausted. You see, Paul wasn't afraid of working with his hands as well as with his mind. He had become an example that left very few questions about his zeal for the Lord. Vain means empty, empty. You see, he's not bragging about himself. Nor is he in any way making reference to works for salvation. Not at all. But once again, just giving evidence of a resurrected Savior. So important, a resurrected Savior. Paul points out to his spiritual children that he was busy about the heavenly kingdom because, again, of the grace of God. And grace means unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. You see, he went from being served as most churches are, they're served, to being a servant. Very few churches have faithful servants. Or if they have faithful servants, they're few. We have quite a few faithful servants here, and we are so appreciative of that, and we compliment them on a regular basis. But it's never enough, guys. It's never enough. When you're ministering the gospel, it's never enough. So what gift do you have, and are you using that gift? We're seeing it in work here, guys. Not bragging. He's just making a point. See, grace is receiving something that you do not deserve, and Saul didn't deserve grace. Yet God extended it to him, and the only reason that Paul became that true servant of God was because he allowed the Holy Spirit. He allowed the grace of God via the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon him. You see, Paul knew who he was. I know who I am. Two-week memory. It's just the way it is. Don't try to give me certain vitamins. They don't work. I wasted in the 70s. Do you know who you are? Paul knew who he was. And yet we see him grow deeper in the realization of who he really was. Here we see in these verses that he's the least of the saints. And this is again written in the mid-50s. Well, got a slide here his first roman imprisonment was 60 to 63 ad and he wrote this in ephesians 3 8 to me who am less than the least of the saints this grace was given uh, what what do you say i'm sorry yeah in verse 9 leave that slide up there but in verse 9 of first corinthians 15 9 for i'm the least of the apostles so he goes from the least of the apostles to now the least of all saints of the whole church i'm the least of them all this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That was in 60 to 63, so roughly, who knows, five to eight years after he wrote this letter. Then in between his first and second imprisonment, which took place in 63 to 67 A.D., again, we don't know the exact time frame, but rough time frame, he wrote this in Timothy, 1 Timothy one fifteen. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Hmm. Paul got really good at sinning and hiding it. He got really good at it. Is that what that's inferring? No, he got so close to the light as he grew older and closer to God, it exposed the depth of his desperately wicked heart. And he relied more and more upon the grace of God than upon anything else in his life. Guys, we're in wicked days. I think you all know that. We're in wicked days where the administration is not even calling out the issue of women's rights being destroyed due to the trans community. This is bizarre. It's not science at all. But this isn't the administration that believes in science. No, it is not. So you and I, we have to take a stand. And there are a few people in the world taking a stand. It's kind of amazing. There are a few. But you have to take a stand in your high school. No way. Uh, yeah, yeah way. Yeah. It might cost you a lot. You might have to be homeschooled. <gasps> Christ is more important. Ephesians says, speak the truth in love. God loves them. God loves every trans. God loves every homosexual. God loves every adulterer. God loves everyone who's doing pornography. God loves every drug addict. God loves every saint that has a pure testimony. Praise God. He loves us all. That's why he sent his son to die for us, guys. You see, Paul got closer to the light as we look at verse eleven and wrap it up, or verse ten. I'm sorry, verse ten. First Corinthians, fifteen, eleven. Turn the page, Jim. First Corinthians, fifteen, eleven. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Music team's going to come up. You see, it's it's not the messenger; it's the message. It was the message that gave others the opportunity to believe. You see, this week, guys, I can guarantee you, this week, you're going to have more than one discussion about nuclear warfare. Educate yourself a little bit. Educate yourself a little bit. What does that look like? I think in the 60s, maybe some of you older saints can tell me if I'm wrong or not, but I think, I think they were practicing getting underneath your school desk. It's like, that's, like, that's going to do something. <laughs> you're going to push it right down on top of me is what it's going to do. Uh, but educate yourself a little bit so that when you talk to somebody, you can say, hey, guys, it's all going to burn anyways. That's what Peter tells us. It's all going to burn, either nuclear or by judgment of God, when it's all said and done. Have hope in your voice, not fear. Because if you're afraid, what are they going to be? you got God. I got God, but I'm afraid. Boy, what hope is there for me? Have love in your voice and hope in your voice and security in your voice. And go, well, God, You know, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. Whether it's nuclear bomb, car accident, 40,000 people died last year. I still see people driving cars. Amazing. Whether it's a car accident, heart attack on the toilet, whatever. Something's going to take me home, you know? Something's going to take me home. It happens. Gal, after first service a couple months ago, said, that happened to my uncle. That's amazing that you said that. (laughs) You are that living epistle to the believer as well as the unbeliever. Live and walk out your faith, guys. That's what Paul's telling the Corinthians. And that's what he's actually told them. You're doing that. You're living it out. You don't even have the Bible, and you're doing that. You're living it. You're walking it out. Live and walk out your faith, guys. A dying world needs to see it. Could you imagine if it does go Nuclear. Is that beyond happening? Are you ready? Don't be afraid. The Bible also says save some by fear. Maybe you need to tell your friends. Are you ready to die? Instead of debating about what might happen, just ask them a simple question. Are you ready to die? And then the follow-up question is, do you know where you're going if you die? And then share the gospel. Father, we thank you and praise you. Because we all are going to die. And especially when we're younger, you know, ah, you know, that's 60 years away. No, it might not be. So Lord, we just thank you for your Holy Spirit. And I pray for the, the younger generation, Lord. I pray you fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit. That they would have a tremendous boldness this week as they go into their schools. For the young adults, the college and career, the 20s and 30s, Lord, as they go into their workplaces and go into the campuses, Lord, that are filled with paganism and atheistic thoughts, evolution, that you would just give them tremendous boldness to take a stand for Christ. For the rest of us, Lord, in the workplace and, and for those who are retired, that we would not retire from witnessing about you and your risen, your risen Son, Jesus For people are afraid. People this week are going to be afraid of possible nuclear warfare. So, Lord, help us to be ready to give an answer, a good answer, of the living hope that we have in our risen Savior. God, we know you're moving the chess pieces accordingly. For Ezekiel 36, 37, 38, 39, we know that you're putting things into place. So we're excited. We're grieved, but yet we're excited because we're living in biblical days. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand, guys. God bless you. If you need prayer for anything, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, please come up. Don't play games. Life could be very, very short. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word.